Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder, chairman of CSA, and the host of the CSA podcast, but also the host of CSA Online, which are events every Wednesday at one o'clock Eastern, uh, where we feature all, a whole array of speakers focusing on cybersecurity for control systems and all the ecosystems sort of related to that as well. And uh, we had an event uh, in, on December 7th, one of our larger events, one of our symposiums. And um, much like uh, our events as of late, we got more questions than we could possibly get answered. And one particular speaker, speaker who I have on today uh, was one of those people that got a lot of questions that we didn't get to. And uh, so Tilo has agreed to come back today and just do, he's picked some of the questions that were asked that day that we didn't get to. We're gonna sort of go through those together. Uh, I will ask him to sort of also describe that event a little bit in case you didn't see that. Um, all the online events going back to 2018 are uh, available online in our, our global uh, members on-demand library. So it can be found if you want to, uh, if, this, if listening to this stimulates some interest and you wanna watch the original uh, presentation uh, that Tilo gave on December 7th, we can point you to that in that direction. You can always email input at csa.org, cs2ai.org, and we can get you hooked up there. But uh, Tilo and I, as we were talking today, we're gonna go into enough detail today that even if you didn't come, you get a sense of what some of what he was talking about and, uh, and, and why people, you know, what some of their questions were. So Tilo, uh, is coming to us. He is currently the director of cloud ecosystem and regional alliances in EMEA uh, for Aviva, and was previously with OSIsoft before the merger. And um, and so um, now I can talk a little bit about Aviva. Even is going to be, in fact, is now um, a, a subsidiary of a, a large recognized equipment manufacturer. And so maybe you can go into a little detail on just uh, sort of what you what you do in that and that recent uh, more recent transaction, Tilo. My pleasure. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me today. So yeah, um, I'm with the Aviva company and one of the biggest changes that we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that Aviva is no longer listed as an independent stock market company. So delisted from London Stock Exchange because um, the Schneider Electric Company bought us and we are now 100% Schneider owned business, uh, which is something that was glooming on the horizon for quite some times because uh, in fact, Aviva was Kind of uh, Schneider Electric was a major shareholder with at 60% of Aviva already. So basically, the, they now brought the company into the, the corporate network. Yeah, and there's some, as we mentioned earlier, musical chairs exercise going on. Seats are shoveling. So we are very much happy that our CEO uh, Peter Herweg is assuming the leadership position of all of Schneider Electric, which also elevates, of course, Aviva within that uh, organization because his heart will be with the Aviva company forever, that's for sure. And so when the music stops, everybody just gets, sits in the closest chair and position that they're near, right? <laughs> that's how <laughs> musical true. chairs works. If I remember back to when I was you know, five. That's true, that's true. Um, yeah. All right, so um, I think, um, let's recast a little bit about what you were talking about that day. I think it's no surprise you got a lot of questions when talking about cloud. You know, this is in, in our space of cybersecurity for control systems, there's lots of questions. and. Uh, the genie's out of the bottle. You know, it's not a question of, I think anybody who's looking at this rationally, a question of, let's, let's not use the cloud. I mean, that that's a foregone conclusion. It's more of a question of how and implementation and how to do it safely and what are the applications. But it does appear to me to be happening across many sectors, if not all sectors, maybe some sectors or verticals more progressive than others. But generally, yeah. it's, it's a global it's a global thing. And um, I think that's probably why a lot of people in our audience that day had a lot of questions for you. But so could you maybe reset the stage a little bit um, before we go into yeah. some of the questions that we, we have? Yeah, kind of an executive summary of what we did. And I was really delighted that I had a chance to speak up for that particular cybersecurity audience for the industrial sector, because we all know that the industrial sector is lagging behind compared to kind of IT systems, right? Probably 10 years. And we are at the edge of transforming our business like what Microsoft did 10 years ago, right? Everything moves into a cloud, everything up, basically subscription-based business models. And we, as like an industry company, we are actually following that trend slowly but surely. And of course, there is a fundamental need for extended cybersecurity concepts as companies move their industrial applications into the cloud. And that's why I felt it was a very good fit like presenting to your audience. But I also must say that we really benefiting from the fact that the cloud has been established as a commodity over the last 10 years. 
So we are pioneering in one sector, of course, by having these uh, special applications that I oftentimes, and we come to this when we tackle the question, require a hybrid approach, because we are so close to the industrial shop floor, to the production lines that latency and real time is a requirement where the cloud by its very nature cannot cope with, right? So there will be always an on-premise component required for sure. But of course, we can basically bring a lot of knowledge from the IT world over and need to educate our industrial customers on the best practice on, from the IT set and how they can benefit from it. So in my uh, presentation, I basically brought forward the Aviva concept to bring the cloud benefits from the IT world and the industrial requirements together and basically talked about how we tackle the necessity for industrial specific cloud solutions. Because of course, there is a saying that you can always uh, solve everything with IBM and Microsoft, right? So if you're in IT, it's like you, you make no mistake. You can always work with like one of the hyperscalers and get things done. The question is, is it really tailor-made for the industrial owner-operator companies, or do we try to uh, bring something together that has not a natural fit? Do we need an army of Accenture or PwC consultants to make a solution work, and do we really have something that is ready to scale? Because our industrial customers, they really look for solutions off the shelf that fit the industrial use cases. And that's why we believe that companies like Aviva that have that absolute focus on industrial applications, but combine that with the broad knowledge of the IT and the cloud, have a fair chance to succeed in this transformation as the industry goes into the cloud. And that was my talk all about, basically. Yeah, and, and I think that's that echoes everything I've, I've I've sort of seen out there. And there's major drivers. You know, I've I've listened in or been peripheral to conversations where there's been anxiety, but in the core of the conversation was somebody disclosing the major business driver for why they were going to you know adopt something that they hadn't you know in this category you know cloud-based services that they wouldn't have in the past. And yeah. it'll have it'll be a yin and yang, right? It'll, there'll be unintended consequences or challenges, risks but then there'll also be, be gains and every business will be looking to sort of yeah. weigh those, right? Yeah, and you know, wherever we go and all of the major big corporate industrial companies, they have a cloud strategy already adopted, right? But only on the IT side, predominantly on the IT side. And they have a, a particular, you could say kind of a blind spot to the industrial requirements because they really don't understand what is a DCS, what is a SCADA system. This is like a barrier internally. <laughs> And I oftentimes have conversations where our operators that, you know, I'm come from OSI business, the Pi system, you know, established kind of yeah. an industrial standard for time series process-based data. And then we talk to the IT guys and they, they cross their arms and they say, well, you can do what you want, but it has to be Microsoft, right? <laughs> and then, you know, it's like two worlds and yeah. we are like in the, in the middle, try to also help to bridge that, yeah? So that the knowledge flows in both directions. All right. Well, let's let's flow some knowledge, uh, you know, in in both directions here, or at least out, and uh, hopefully it'll benefit some people. And so you and I, um, you curated some some of the questions, and you know, there were a lot that day. Um, I like the selection that you that you've made. So why don't we, if you're ready, why don't we dive in? Yeah. Let's go ahead. Okay. How do you see IIoT, Industrial Internet of Things, playing a role via cloud models for predictive analytics? to enhance decision-making for owner-operators? And I think it's a quick question because it gets into motivation a why, right? Yeah, and I, and I think this is a very broad observation, of course, because we see the IoT, the sensors basically being deployed like crazy. And that's also a trend that we see over many, many years. But now the question is, what can we do with this, right? So we have all these sensors that are relatively cheap, relatively easy to deploy, and they become another data source. And I feel that this is one of the big opportunities that the cloud really provides because due to the fact that we have gained much more data ingress points, measurement points, we can build much more comprehensive data models for predictive analytics, for example. And this requires, of course, a solution that is set for scale, where in the past you had a few sensors maybe just directly connected to your operational system. Now there's literally hundreds of thousands of data points, and you require a cloud solution that can work with these time series process data that flow in and provide something meaningful. 
But the opportunity is not only for the owner operator companies because they have particular knowledge that is all around the product that they produce and the process associated. We feel that much stronger about providing this type of information, these data points to third party companies that are really specialized in building AI models and deliver services back to the owner operator companies because they're really not the experts for the particular equipment that they operate with. They're the, the experts for the wax production or for the tablets, for the medicine that they produce and so on. So I think the combination of bringing the sensor technology, the IoT uh, elements, the cloud and third party providers together. So building a community of data users is the key to drive value out of these multiple data points that you have. Yeah. Yep. And there's gold in them hills, right? I mean, in the end of the day, all this data collected or uncollected, it's like mining gold, right? I've heard a few man. operators talk about, oh man, this insights that we have never had are now on the, we're either having them or we're on the cusp of having them. And some of them are quite powerful. I've had some explained to me, it's like, here's what we're going to be able to do. They're not minor, They're, they could be major. Yeah, and interesting, Derek, I mean, you know, OSI is like was 40 years in the business. Yeah. And uh, our founder, Pat Kennedy, he was extremely visionary in this regard. But we have customers that collect already data over the last 30 years. Yeah. But only now the predictive models and the AI is available as kind of a commodity. So they start exploiting the data gold that they aggregated over the last 30 years sitting in the buy system. It's unbelievable. Yeah? That, that is yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Interesting to see. Mm. Okay, um, on a personal level, big data analytics has raised huge privacy and legal issues. How can these issues not be exasperated in a commercial market of turning companies' data into sellable product? This is yeah. a question or versions of this question I have seen before. Yeah, it's, it's a big legal challenge. You know the term GDPR, right? The General Data yeah. Protection Requirements, yeah. Big Data. So. There's one thing that has come by legislation and that is country specific, right? So data residency is a requirement. So you data, certain data must not leave the country and that every country has its own stuff here. I'm in Germany, so we align pretty much under the European Union rules for that. So, and that also the data ownership and data residency is a big issue. Where do you actually host your cloud solution, right? So. On one thing, the cloud is globally available, but in the end, when it comes to GDPR, well, the legislation requires data to be physically present, uh, present within the boundary of a particular country, right? So it needs to be considered. But our going in philosophy really as Aviva and OSI Soft initially was really that whoever produces the data owns the data. So this is one of the differences that you also see with some other vendors that work in the market that say, oh, you buy a piece of equipment from me, the data that equipment produces, that is owned by the vendor. And you can then buy your own data back. We have, I don't want to name names, but we've seen this a lot because also the equipment manufacturers or the equipment vendors understand the value of that. But we believe that fundamentally, if, if I'm the owner operator and my process produces particular data, you own that data, right? And then you as the owner operator can decide, I give that to another third party to do meaningful things for that. And then I buy a service back. So this is something that at least is our philosophy. There are other companies out there that work under different philosophies. So we really believe that the owner operator, they own the data and they decide what they allow to do. However, they have to align with the legislations, the requirements as per the GDPR regulation that applies in each particular country. Yeah, and, and in the a way, regulations are comprehensive and constantly changing, and this will not go away. So we have particular legal people that really work on that subject all the time. Yeah, and, and this is, is not to, to a large corporation, is only new as it applies to this part of their business. It's not new to their business that were, yeah. you know, corporations are already spending, uh, you know, a, a great deal to try to figure out what compliance looks like. And so this is just another yeah. component. And there could be some people though, that, that are working the problem in the normal IT sense that don't again, understand some nuances here. So there'll be, it sounds like there'll be like the, like the best cybersecurity people here are, you know, in our sector are these hybrid people, 
this will have to have that too. People are like, I, I understand privacy and GDPR and it's California equivalent and all that. And I understand these sorts of data and the vendor, you know, data ownership models yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. It'll require that same sort of hybridization where they better have, a, you know, an understanding of how all that works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, but it's a, it's a really big challenge. And then sometimes our terms and conditions clash with the customer's terms and conditions. Sure. And then there's an overarching requirement that comes from the local government. So um, I will not go away, but you know we have to spend time on that. Simply. Yeah. So let's talk about vulnerabilities. You know, obviously that's near and dear to heart to any, you know, near and dear to anybody's heart who's working on cybersecurity. And it's easy to conceive of so many different type of things if data is leaving. And, and I, I hope you'll talk about this. You know, there's data leaving to be analyzed is one thing, and there are some ways to protect it that I suspect you'll talk about. Data coming back, and I know there's application for this to attenuate something, to adjust something. I um, I sat seven years ago in a very in a large OEM's presentation around how that would work and how they were definitely going to go to that. So data going out and data coming back that presents a whole different set of risks than just let's get some data out and let's learn from it. Yeah, and you see that the let's say the use cases that we have for the most parts go one way. Right, so we extract usually operational data from a piece of equipment. There's a local consolidation, and I come to a moment uh, into the vulnerabilities or limitations of cloud-based system, and then they from the local system usually broadcast into the cloud for analytics purpose, for wider data sharing, and so on. The way back is something that is available but it's usually not appreciated by the customer because they really want to shield the systems, right? They say, you know what, whatever you do, you can take this, you make recommendations, but we want to prevent an automatic way of playing things back. That's why you have like data diodes and stuff, you know, in order to really physically shield your industrial application from the wider internet. So I would not talk so much about the immediate vulnerabilities for cloud itself, because I believe that fundamentally the cloud provides a lot of benefits in terms of security, because you have this alignment and you manage security in much wider context, rather than having an individual like Blue Industries and they make their own security concept for their little you know, site here and then secure another site differently. So cloud is definitely a very strong when it comes to security however by its very nature it's limited when it comes to real-time capabilities latency right so the response time from the cloud to an on-premise system is a, a challenge and of course connectivity many industrial systems they are simply not permanently connected maybe they move or maybe they're underground so these are things that i would say limit cloud-based system to a certain degree and that's why we really believe that our approach, basically pitching a hybrid cloud solution that has an on-premise component and has a cloud component is the optimal approach for an industrial owner operator company, right? So you have something that is either on the edge or on the factory floor on-premise, and then you extend the capabilities into the cloud. So do we have customers that work only with cloud-based um, system? Yes, we do. But the majority of them, they have data processing requirement, real-time requirement, latency restrictions that require an on-premise installation in any shape or form. Sometimes it's a small edge system, right? So like an, an embedded piece of equipment in a compact PCI format or something, a regularized, small, you know, attached to a, you know, to a, to a production line out there in the field. It buffers, it reacts in real-time to the process but it hooks up to the cloud in order for do data consolidation, data reporting, data sharing, and so on. So that's why I would say that the solution to limited limits of the cloud system and its vulnerabilities, if you will, lies in a hybrid approach, right? So there's no other way really for industrial customers. Yeah. And as you referenced, the entire category, which you said is the, the leading category of data out, not data back. And so we put aside sort of the, whole concept of data going back, because you're right, that just raises hair on the back of anybody's neck. The data out part, this is where, and you mentioned it, I mean, where data diodes or unidirectional gateway technology plays, right? Yes, uh, yes. The event that you spoke at, our lead sponsor for that event was Waterfall Security Solutions. That's an application for for their their reason, right, to exist, is say, hey, yeah. you can take data safely out and guarantee that it doesn't go back. That's 
that's what you're talking about there. And then you can do all kinds of things with that, but you're doing that with a copy of the data, not, yes. not the live operational data. And we, that's why we also like present together with Waterfall and uh, Andrew with us, um, was with us on the 7th of December, because <laughs> that's like a natural requirement, right? So you need to secure the on-premise industrial system. You need to cut them off, ideally physically, right? <laughs> Not yeah. just with a simple firewall, because a firewall can always be cracked. We've seen numerous cases where the like this default IT system security failed, and that's why some kind of hard shielding of your critical system remains a mandatory requirement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and if you're a listener and you don't don't know it, you can look up uh, data diodes, unidirectional gateway technology, which is the term yes. that Waterfall uses. Um, there's really a small handful of uh, of companies, and the truth is, they the, the premise is guaranteed one-way directionality. So not not software that obviously would be like, well, maybe somebody can manipulate the software and go backwards, but actual uh, hardware uh, infrastructure that that guarantees that it's going one way. And so that that is a um, a way to sort of when when looking at all these sort of cloud-based opportunities, that's one way yeah. to consider embracing one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, help me visualize a hundred percent on-prem cloud deployment with all of its uh, VMs or virtual machines sort of the traditional deployment versus 100% on cloud Pi deployment. In terms of hybrid, what does that really mean in the sense if I only have on-prem systems talking to the Pi on-premises VMs, then what exactly is running in the cloud? Also, is the cloud-based solution offered as SaaS or would the asset owner deploy their favorite cloud, you know, AWS or Google Cloud, et cetera? Yeah, 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 I understand that. A bit of a tech is like an architectural question Right, but I think it is good to stress that because many people mix the term of SaaS, software as a service, and cloud in itself. Because the working with cloud technology comes in various shapes of form. So I can have a piece of software. The gentleman here uh, uh, talks about the Pi server. That Pi server can sit on a piece of metal on-premise, so there's a physical server that sits on-site, and I can now virtualize this server in a VM, in a virtual machine, and put it into the cloud. It's still an on-premise software piece, right? It's an on-premise license that I use, a perpetual license. All I do is I, I, I remove the physical hardware, and I mirror the physical hardware in a virtual machine in a cloud. And this cloud could be from AWS or from Google or from Oracle or from whatever my provider is. I do not change the software architecture at all. All I do is, oh, my physical machine is now a virtual machine and sits in somebody's cloud. This does not represent SaaS, software as a service. Software as a service is a completely different approach. As a software, as a service, I'm not talking about a virtual machine. I'm talking about a web service that provides particular capabilities out of a cloud hostess environment. I would not see the server. I would not see the operating system. I'm not seeing the BIOS. I'm seeing nothing from the virtualized infrastructure. All I see, and now I'm talking SaaS, software as a service, Aviva Data Hub. I see my sequential data store, I see certain visualization capabilities and so on. I give you the Netflix or YouTube example. YouTube is a SaaS. You don't see what is the hardware that YouTube runs on. You don't see the operating system. You, you know, all you see is basically your YouTube, right? Oh, I can stream video to me and I can upload videos to somebody to my virtual space. I can share that. This is software as a service. You don't see the underlying architecture. You don't even see the YouTube server. Right, you don't see none of it. So this is true SaaS. Do you know Salesforce? Salesforce.com. Yeah, yeah. They were the first one, like 15, almost 20 years ago. They had these little buttons, no software. Like you remember this when they went uh, to the IT shows, and they were one of the first, like true software as a service companies. So you yeah. don't see the underlying hardware at all. So coming back to the question um, here, when you talk about a traditional Pi deployment. This Pi server can sit either on-premise or it can sit in the cloud, but it's still a Pi server. You complement that 
with Aviva Data Hub, a true SaaS service that provides additional capability to what a Pi server can today. And you complement this if you want with an edge component, edge data store, something that you can deploy in a regularized system in the field embedded. And these three components, they interact with each other, but they can live on their own. They do not require each other. Each of these individual components, the edge component, the on-premise component, and the software as a service, the cloud component, provide a service in itself. They can interact with each other. They are complementary to each other, but they do not require each other mandatory. So you can have an ED, an edge device that works in itself and feeds data into an AWS cloud. The edge device can also feed data into Aviva Data Hub that provides particular benefits, of course, that we believe. Or the edge device can deliver data into a Pi server, right? And the Pi server can do the same, vice versa. So therefore, we don't want to mix the term that in the, in the software environment, in the cloud environment, we call that lift and shift, if you heard that term before. Lift and shift means you virtualize your physical machine and you shift it into the cloud, right? You, you lift it up, you shift it into the cloud. But the on-premise software architecture doesn't go away just because it becomes a virtual machine. Yeah? I think that's so, a good definition uh, that you call that out because we have members of our community that are engineering and operations background, not IT at all. You know, we have a mix of people from, you know, multiple. Yeah, yeah. But for those folks, that might have been a, a, a significant distinction. Yeah, I like the uh, the internet meme that went around uh, for a while. Like, there's no such thing as cloud. It's just someone else's computer. But your your I think your description of, of comparing those two is pretty key. I mean, the the thought that came to mind when I was thinking about um, SaaS as we were talking was if you get to see the user interface you, of whatever that service is, but all, anything behind it, you have no idea. You pay the monthly fee or the yeah. annual fee. How all, how it all works, where all that data is housed, you're not involved. Whereas as Netflix, you can even have Spotify, YouTube, you had the wherewithal. Not not that most yeah. companies should do that, but you could. Yes, correct. And this is also something that um, we want to be mindful because sometimes people, because they mix terms and they say, oh, it's now in the cloud. Well, they still have a perpetual server, right? So and they need to patch this and need to maintain that. So which is a big advantage, we believe, for our industrial customers if they can get the relief of that IT work. Now you think everything is hunky-dory. No, it's not. What is the downside of since the system is managed, updated automatically in the SaaS environment, you have struggled to serve validated systems, you know, especially in the pharmaceutical market, what they want. They want to validate the system. They want to lock it up and nobody should ever touch it. So this is a downside of a SaaS approach because in the SaaS environment, updates, security, enhancements, patch management, everything automatically, you don't even see it. You just lock into your whatever, Netflix, and then there's a new button there. All of a sudden, oh, yeah, they have a new function made available. Maybe also only just in Canada or only in South Africa, you know? Yeah. So this is the downside, especially for industrial customers, right? So that's something that it's not all gold and hunky-dory, right? So there's elements of that SaaS approach that are con counterproductive to particular industrial requirements, right? So we need to be mindful of that, and we are. Yep. Uh, that's why, you know, we really focus on industrial use cases. Yep, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a great caveat. Mm -hmm. well, you mentioned the data hub, let's talk about that. You had a good question in the mix here from, from someone on that. The person was asking, regarding the Aviva data hub, is that similar to the AWS marketplace? For instance, if an organization built digital a digital twin of a transformer system from a utility X, is the data hub created to make it easy for Utility X to publish the model so others can use or buy? If not, is there an Aviva marketplace where organizations can build and share models? That's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. and, and of, I mean, this is the future. We are planning to launch a marketplace, potentially second half of the year. And I'm not saying what year. <laughs> I'm hoping for this year, of course. But it's quite an excessive um, and ex um, extensive exercise. But the true vision of Aviva is, and I'm fully convinced that this is the right approach, that we believe that our own applications are extremely strong, right? So we have our own visualization, we have models, we have engineering software, and we are proud of ourselves. However, the world is much bigger. And there are so many specialized companies that can provide data models and application themselves. 
so that our vision is really to become the platform for these third parties to provide their own applications. So let's say if I'm an equipment manufacturer for wind turbines, I would place my wind turbine, let's say predictive analytics piece of software in the Aviva Data Hub marketplace. Aviva Data Hub is the platform for the operational data. We provide the data on a silver plate as long as the owner operator allows for it, right? They say, yes, I want blue turbine to access my data. Oh, in my marketplace, there's actually the blue turbine app. Fantastic, right? So this is definitely the long, uh, long-term long vision for us that we want to be a mirror what, what you see in the IT industry, right? So there's Microsoft. Microsoft has fantastic own tools, but in the Microsoft marketplace, you find dedicated tools for particular industries, applications, and so on, which enriches the Microsoft universe much stronger than rather limiting it to their own tools and pieces of software. Yeah, yeah definitely. So yeah, stay tuned but, for that, and I, I hope you invite me then uh, once the marketplace is live, because we would we would love to talk about it to a bigger audience to attract people to build applications and host them in our marketplace going. Yeah, I think this is important that we're having this talk. I mean, I know there'll be some people in my ecosystem who these concepts create great anxiety for them, but I think, you know, I'm pragmatic. You know, business is going to move forward. Productivity is going to move forward. New capabilities are going to move forward. And so what, what I think the role of some of our most brilliant security people is just staying on top of how to do this. And, but the why, the stuff you're sort of starting to talk about are, you know, potentially consequential changes, you know, new, new capabilities uh, that don't even exist today. And yeah. um, that's what will drive adoption, right? We just got to make sure we do it. We do it carefully, especially in this, in this sector. Yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, here's a question about uh, verticals. And I know we've talked about um, this application, lots of different verticals. This person was asking specifically about the oil and gas vertical. This person said, as an oil and gas control system engineer and a user of Pi software for many years, I'd like to know if you have already this new solution adopted and used by any oil and gas companies. Yeah. So we have industrial focus verticals defined. Uh, one of them is called, of course, oil and gas, because this is our natural playground, the Pi system, extremely strong in this market. But we also see a lot of traction in the renewable markets because they have so many distributed assets. And going back to the very first question, IoT sensors, they come in cheap. You know, basically every solar panel, sub-solar panel can be equipped where the um, oil and gas industry is more asset heavy. You know, you don't have so many data points compared to solar or wind farms. Um, so we are extremely strong in solar. We are very strong in chemicals and we are also very strong in oil and gas. Just to name a, a few public references, and we are building this up. It's like Devon Energy in the US, uh, Dominion Energy for, for gas and solar, but also in Europe, Enel is a, one of the uh, customers that we can reference in public. Basically, most of our customers exploring the cloud at this moment in time. And we have a great tradition with uh, uh, an annual user conference where they go out in public and speak about that. And these three, um, they are like public references for us. They talk and they, they explain the use cases that they currently pursue with our cloud offerings. So we can absolutely reference them. But as I mentioned in the renewable sector, we are also extremely strong. And most of our oil and gas companies explore that area, right? Because you know the energy transformation is in full swing and even accelerating. So we have companies like Silicon Valley Clean Energy that works with us or um, the French EDF company for energy and so on and so forth. Yeah. So we have many references in, in that market that pick up. And uh, the next user conference will be in October in uh, San Francisco. As every year now, we come together. It's no longer Pi World. It's Aviva World. And then we hope to publish many more. Awesome. I look forward to consuming some of that information myself. You've touched on this already, so I don't know if, if you want to add to it, but you did have some more questions in the bank around all the exciting potentials. But hey, what about ownership of the IP? This person was expounding upon the value of, you know, the excitement around advanced analytics and machine learning and the, the potential. But 
the ownership issues between asset owner, OEM, market source proprietary information, is that gonna, you know, is that currently impeding the adoption of this sort of thing? And how relatively or how easy or not is this gonna be to overcome? Is there any more commentary on that? Because that, that is, I think, that's obviously gonna come up even even, even in, this, in this limited, you know, um, data sample, yeah. where, you know, a few yeah. hundred people, questions around this came up from multiple people. Yeah, absolutely. And I really believe that this is the future of that model because you want to really build communities of data users. Think about the requirements that is now here in Europe, very prominent. People need to report carbon footprint uh, consumption. They want to uh, show across the entire supply chain how data is basically helping to give transparency to the entire production process. They need to report across their production um, requirements or uh, consumptions to um, government authorities, to external auditors, which is exactly that, right? So we believe that if we allow for data sharing at scale for the OEM equipment manufacturer, for another service company, we really build a lot of value. And this is back to the Pi system philosophy. The value of the data increases the more people use the same data. Right, so sharing is caring. Sharing creates value. And we have a particular commercial model for that in the past, in the old pie world that worked already into a one-to-one -one relation, one owner operator sharing pie data with one equipment manufacturer, but it was not built for scale. We used to call that connected services. So we used to have that for quite some time, but now with the cloud, we can apply that model at scale. We call it now DSP, Digital Solution Providers. There's actually a program that we're going to launch in this quarter, end of this quarter, end of March. It will be publicly announced. There will be another broadcast on this um, from Aviva organized. And this would basically overcome the legal constraints that exist because the service provider, the OEM equipment manufacturer, or the external auditor and the only operator, they can, can agree to terms and condition under which they share operational data with each other and how they commercialize that with each other. So we provide the platform, the community platform. So we provide the data sharing capability, the streaming capability, we, the, the security around that. But they basically can talk with each other and say, OK, this is how we going to commercialize. And that's basically another bridge to that marketplace philosophy. Right. So we really feel that the Aviva Data Hub provides the platform services and then people sit on top of these platform services and do meaningful things with each other. Similar to YouTube, I call that in, in internal meetings also Tinder for operational data. Right. So we bring <laughs> the beloved couple together by making it easy to share the operational data with each other. Does this only work if there's a lot of adoption versus, you know, industry-wide or can, you know... Can well, of course, I mean, it only takes two to tango, but we would love to see an industry-wide adoption, right? Of course, you know, kind of, if we manage to become kind of the industrial standard for sharing operational data, well, of course, we would love to see that, right? Uh, but it, of course, yeah, so the more people play, the more the platform relevance is increased, right? If you know, if you are on, um, let's say, let's talk oil and gas, where over the last 40 years, the Pi system is kind of a standard. If you go and you have an equipment or service company that works with you and you say, hey, yeah, the data is in the Pi system. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, great. Okay, we know what to do, right? Yeah. So, and our vision, of course, is that Aviva Data Hub becomes that platform in the cloud for operational data. So people say, ah, oh, yeah, you're on, on Data Hub. Oh yeah, great, no problem. I know how to connect. We know how it goes. Huh? Similar to what, what YouTube is for videos. Huh? So talking about sharing data, um, one of your um, audience was wondering if this was like what an ISAC does. And I think it's worth answering in that our, you know, our deep security thinkers already know the answer to that question. They know what an ISAC is, but we've got people in the community who probably have never heard of it. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's longest history was in the financial sector where, you know, we're probably one of the very first ones, if not the first one, Industrial, you know, is, is less lesser developed. And there's some verticals have it and some don't. So industrial crosses so many verticals or control systems certainly crosses many verticals. So just maybe maybe touch on that point. 
Yeah, I had to look that up one because I was really not into that uh, acronym. Yeah, Information Sharing and Analysis Analysis Center. So I believe they capture like use cases, uh, security vulnerabilities, and share that for a greater community. Uh, I believe. So yeah, there a primary purpose there would be not operational data at all. It would be yeah, incident, yeah. incident. Like, what can we learn? Yes. Because yes. if we can figure out how to share this, uh, oftentimes we won't share it because of our stock price or this reason or you know yeah, yeah. Uh, customer customer fears. So we keep it inside that we've had you know we've had sort of this set of parameters happen. Man, if we could figure out a safe way that we could share, we as a community can protect ourselves better because we're not in isolation. You know, and sometimes the threat yeah. adversaries are clearly not in isolation or sharing information. Boy, it'd be great on the defense side if we could do the same. So that's at least at a high level, you know, what some of the ISAC functionality can be is let's let's work together to have a safe framework for sharing, you know, you, you've had an incident and what, what can we all learn from that or, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, th this looks for me, it's like a library and then people can look into this, into similar incidences that they have faced in the past and take learning from there. So this is not what we do, right? So we're really sharing immediate operational data, a pressure value, from a particular pump, a temperature value, from a whatever molding process or, you know. So, and the community that we have is a community of sharing particular data streams with each other. So the term community is used in the world widely. So it's not a community of best practice sharing. It's a community where people form a, a data sharing a community for the purpose of giving access to particular process data to do something with it. So in immediate analysis, they try to predict the pump failure or they try to predict the quality of a production process and so on. So it's not meant to be kind of an information best practice or incident sharing platform. Yeah. yeah. So we, we serve a different purpose. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. I think if you're a listener and you, you don't know you're you know, looking into cybersecurity, you can look at ISACs and other industries and uh, across multiple industries and see how they are, how they're um, constructed. You know, you won't, you'll find quite a bit of Google results if you search on that, but yeah, very, very different than, than what Tilo is talking about here. So uh, sort of related question again to the, does it have to be a lot of adopters to make it work or one entity can benefit from it? How about large or small entity benefits? And that question comes yeah. up from many different solutions out there because we have people at all the whole strata coming to our events from the super majors are, are pretty much all represented in our events the uh, oil and gas but then you got all the way down to you know a tiny rural collective utility or wastewater treatment yes. facility and they often see some of our presentations and say i don't think you know we could even do anything with that cost or uh, or or you know the total what it takes to implement something to operationalize it expertise lacking you know so what, what do you see yeah. on size of entity benefiting from what you're describing yeah yeah it's an interesting observation that because actually the pi system itself is an enterprise class data infrastructure and it's definitely not for a small business however since the software as a service in the cloud allows for scale from medium to large at basically the snap of a finger it's much more suitable for small, medium-sized companies that cannot invest into a Pi system. They can actually invest into a very small subscription, $10,000 a year or $5,000 a year, and they can handle their operational data in the cloud as long as they you know, create a, some sort of ingress method, and it doesn't need to be a Pi system. And the Pi system is really, it's a big gun, right? And that's why we, we focus so much on that data community, because we can attract a lot of equipment manufacturers that are not big owner operator companies, right? And they have now the capability to say, hey, I can work in the Pi philosophy with my time series data. I have asset information. I can contextualize my streams. And I have that all readily available in the cloud. There's no installation requirement. There's no maintenance. I don't need an IT expert. In fact, ingressing data from an edge device into the Aviva Data Hub, it's a matter of minutes. I mean, setting this up, it's like in no time, right? It's really extremely quick and fast. And therefore, we believe that over and above the big boys that we attract over the decades, that we can build that network of partner companies, of smaller companies that really interact 
with each other because the community platform makes it so easy and relatively cheap for them. Yeah. That sounds to me like more of this, you know, why the genie's out of the bottle. So smaller companies who would have to fly blind, let's say, just not have these insights and not be able to do things, can't afford it, aren't going to anytime soon afford their on-prem installation of all things. Now they can access some world-class capabilities. And I yes. don't want to sound like I'm advocating like, this is why we got to adopt this stuff. I'm trying to say from a business perspective, it's why it's going to happen. Yeah. Not a, not a, you know, because I know there'll be people that listen to this and say, oh, you know, another advocating for connecting things. And, you know, people that don't like IT, OT convergence. I have a, a colleague in the space who hates that term. It's like some of this is going to happen. It's like the, it's just past the point of no return. And this would be an example. I need the capabilities. I can't afford otherwise. But now by using cloud services, I can have some world-class capabilities that were beyond, you know, we're beyond us and we're going to stay beyond us until these capabilities yeah. became baseline. And, and there's a benefit, a true benefit in this cloud subscription commercial model because you don't have these heavy investment, right? So in the past, if you yeah. want to really go into an kind of an enterprise type of um, data infrastructure, you have to put like real cash on the table. Right now you can have a small subscription, 5K, 10K a year, and if it is, if you cannot prove the value over time in your business model, well, you unsubscribe, right? So there's very little harm. But if you realize the value, you can also exponentially grow by just subscribing more and consume more. It's a very flexible model. This is what we believe is very good for our industrial customers and their suppliers because they can start small and grow into a sizable business and take control over the cost. On the other hand, especially big infrastructure projects, they actually love the capital investment, right? Because they put some $10 million on the table and they say, okay, we built that factory and now we want to put the software and they're kind of reluctant to go into the subscription model. So the whole subscription idea is actually very much suitable for people that start small and grow over time. Mm -hmm. If you have like $10 million to spend and you say, this is a capital invest, then you don't like it so much, the subscription model. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, CapEx versus OpEx is a big thing. And <laughs> so let's end, I think, with the time we got on one more question, which is um, security. I could see someone saying, okay, we're going to do this and put some precautions in place and maybe we'll use, you know, some technology, uh, other third party technologies you and I referenced earlier that, you know, unidirectional gateways and data diodes. Can I, how about audits and testing and verifying this stuff? What's, what's available? Yeah. And as, as I mentioned to you, Derek, I'm not the security expert. I, I mean, we have really people and, you know, in these uh, in these projects, there's all either in the very beginning or in the very end, there's an, an usually uh, this security audit. Right. So because people put basically their baseline in our hands. So that's why security is if you and invest into a cloud um, infrastructure is a must have. And we are extremely cautious. So we have all these security certificates, ISO. 27001 and related and we have regular penetration tests on our platform with external companies that really try to crack into the system and so on so and then there is this um security assessment questionnaire that we do with our customers and we have a huge trust center all the information we make available online so usually in our proceedings once we have identified a use case with the you know, operational people that we usually work on, then we bring our security experts in and they do the assessment together with the IT experts from our customer side, right? So this is the way we, we go about it. And of course, we need to adhere to the highest standard of the industry. In fact, um, we work with Microsoft and we also work with Oracle and all the other big vendors in order to secure our platform to the, to the highest possible standards. And... <laughs> We also work with industrial proven solutions and secure our cloud uh, that way. Like you referenced the example from Waterfall earlier, you know, there are other like similar companies that we yeah. bring into our network of relations that get basically Aviva Data Hub certified with what they provide in order to provide that industrial focused security features around our cloud platform. And you will see that network of partners growing. So 
we are happy, of course, with the collaboration of Waterpool, but there are, of course, also other vendors that uh, we collaborate with in order to provide that particular industrial security links to, to our solution. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, you know a good note to end on. It's got to be taken seriously, and and you're you're I like your approach of third parties who that is their focus, and so they they end up working with with you, being certified, you know, being uh, being officially able to work with your technology. Um, I think industrial many industrial clients are they're they're going to need that. They're going to need to know for sure exactly yeah. how it's going to work from a from a security standpoint, and as we talked about from a from a data and privacy, there's you know that's going to be a serious piece as well. And but once somebody can understand all that, you know, there it, it does seem that there's there's gold in the hills, as we said, uh, as we said earlier. Yeah. And on that note, it's really about building the community of third party providers. So we really feel we are just in brackets, the silver plate where the data sits on. And we invite as many companies to do now meaningful things with the data that the owner operator allows to share. That can be application partners, technology partners, security providers, and so on. We really want to build that community of service providers around that data platform. This is our long-term vision. Yeah. Well, all right. I, I suppose this will have motivated or stimulated some uh, some interesting conversations that will ensue from this. Uh, thank you. I've just uh, been on with Tilo. Keshubek, he is the Director of Cloud Ecosystem and Regional Alliances in EMEA for Aviva. Um, joining me from Berlin, right? Yeah, that's that's right. Berlin, Germany. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so um, thank you for joining us in your in your evening and my my afternoon still and sharing and being part of the event, you know, back in December, as, as well as working with me to, to get some more of these questions answered. And we'll obviously share this with our with the with the folks that came to that event, which was really, really well attended. But we'll obviously through the podcast network be able to share with our wider audience as well that might not be yet thinking about some of these things, good, bad, and indifferent uh, towards the future that's evolving. So I really appreciate you bringing um, bringing your sort of cloud based expertise to our to our community. Yeah, I would love to have an update if you feel appropriate. If your audience appreciate that, maybe in a six months time, you know when we have released a marketplace or something, uh, I would love to come back and. Um, you know, share the latest and greatest, because as I mentioned, we are all about, you know, creating the community around our new Aviva Data Hub platform. And then I think the word of mouth is very important to spread so that we attract people to join us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Good night. Take care, Tilo. And uh, good night and take care, everybody. We'll uh, talk soon.